We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 257 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to, which might be one of the last times we actually say that here on the pod for a, for a little bit of a while, Matt Rooney. Yeah. But uh, we got US Open, we got NBA Finals, we got Stanley Cup Final, we got a Bears mailbag coming our way and we got nothing but sunshine in the sky. Matt Rooney, how are you? I'm, I'm good. We're at- there's only been a few of these where I've been able to watch like live sports while we do it. And usually those have been golf events, but right now I got a white Sox game on. I'm recording a podcast. We got the U S open coming up. Stanley cup finals are tonight. I'm, I'm good. We got a lot of sports. Like you said, not for very much longer. We're, we're heading into the, uh, the dog days pretty much here soon, but this, this is at least one last, uh, pretty big, good, heavy content show to go out with. Matt's got, uh, Matt's got the Sox game on. So if you find me talking to myself over the next hour, you know exactly why. You won't uh, be talking to yourself, but there might be a few more of those where I just completely admit that I wasn't listening and need you to repeat yourself. But that's, perfect. you know, that still happens a couple times a pod. It just, it, it's a thing. Well, let me, let me try and bide some attention here with some sure. U.S. Open talk because people forget we are a golf podcast, Matt. The U.S. The, Open will keep my attention. That's 122nd? I feel like sure. I'm making that up, but I've heard it at some point. Uh, playing of the U.S. Open, coming from the country club at Brookline, suburban Boston, playing the setting. A lot going on in Boston uh, on Thursday. Potential Big finals, potential finals clinching matchup, which maybe could make for an angry crowd on the weekend uh, at Brookline. But let's start uh, inside the ropes here, Matt. Plenty of talk this week coming into it about Liv, Phil being there, Dustin being there, sort of overshadowing some of the mm-hmm. bigger storylines like the fact that Phil is a U.S. Open away from the career grand slam, like Justin Thomas is coming in, having just won a PGA championship and is on form, uh, almost won the RBC. The guy who won the RBC, Rory McIlroy, is playing his best golf in, let's say, a half decade. Uh, Jordan Speed seems primed to contend here as well. The course is grisly. It's going to make for an awesome U.S. Open setup. I'm not sure that we see carnage. I, I think that if you keep it in the fairway and, and you sort of – play to the middles of greens and stay beneath the hole, we might see some numbers. Um, It's not going to be carnage, but it might split the field. And we might Mm -hmm. be looking at maybe a handful of guys really trying to duke this thing out on Saturday and Sunday. Who catches your eye when you look at this field, when you look at some of the numbers and some of the storylines heading in? It's hard to not look at Rory right now. He's just playing such good golf and has been for so long. But again, we've talked, talked about this every major he comes into every major, you know, looking like he's ready to win, like he's ready to be a top contender, be a favorite. And then he has the bad round or bad round and a half that kind of takes him out of, out of contention. I, I mean, he's, he's the guy for me. I mean, if he can stay away from that big round, not even like put up a big number, just don't have a completely blow up round. I mean, he's playing the best golf in the world right now. I think John Rahm, you're going to see a motivated guy, and I think he fits this course pretty well. He's been driving the ball well as of late. I mean, I, I think it. I don't think you tweeted it, but I think I saw you like a tweet about Brooks has basically finished, like only five golfers have finished ahead of him in the last three U.S. Opens, like ridiculous. combined. Like it's ridiculous. Four combined. What a, he hasn't played well late as of late, but like Brooks in the U.S. Open is kind of thing. Justin Thomas is going to be hanging around. I, I 
I think Will Zalatoris is another guy who, if he can get a little bit hot with the putter and by a little bit hot, I mean, just not miss some, some layup five, not even layup five footers, but you know, make his five to 10 footers. He's going to guy be a guy we'll see up top. I know I just named a lot of guys at the top of the field, but like, it seems like a pretty wide open U S open because you got a lot of guys that are playing pretty good golf heading into this thing. Yeah. I mean, you could really, you could go further down the board. You got guys like uh, Xander Shoffley, who's, I believe finished top 10 at the U S open the last four years. So maybe trending towards that. You mentioned Zalatoris who's positioned himself as a big game hunter and just seems to be there uh, at every major majors, uh, dating back to last year's masters. Uh, I mean, he loses in a playoff at the PGA. He just could have, I, I mean, an errant tee shot by Justin Thomas. And we're talking about him as a mm-hmm. major champion, PGA champion heading into this week. Um, it's really, really interesting. And I think it just goes to show that real storylines, real players with real chances, it's still the PGA tour. And not that that was in question or anything of the matter, but I feel like all of these, uh, all of these live storylines are so sensational, uh, not in the fact that the, the way that they're being written, but just at the root of the news, it's like, Ooh, the big money. Ooh, mm-hmm. Phil grew a beard. Ooh, Dustin may never play on the PGA Tour. Fine, fine. Because look what's happening right now on the PGA Tour, heading into the United States Open in Boston, one of the great sports cities, at one of the charter clubs of the USGA. Like, we are sitting pretty. If you didn't get jacked up about the final round of the RBC, and I know that's a little niche, but... I mean, even if you weren't jacked up about it, you were tangentially aware of what was happening between Tony, Rory, and JT coming down the stretch. I mean, they shot like a worst ball 61, I think, or something like that. Like, it was unbelievable. The worst score in that trio was a 64. Rory wins it off Mm -hmm. a 62. They're primed, and they're primed at the perfect time. And let's not take that for granted because these are guys who last year, this time, yeah, Spieth was starting to round back into form, but um, JT was a little bit lost at sea following the players after that win. He went away for a little while. Rory, we just belabor over the fact that, yeah, he's going to, you know, he's going to have two good days and two bad days at the majors. That still could be the case here. That, that still could be the case at the U.S. Open this week. But yeah. I haven't seen a guy play a better golf than this since he was winning U.S. since he was winning um, those PGAs, I believe 2014 was his last one, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct, yeah. When he won those, um, like three, the two majors in four so years. I'm just, I'm just so excited. Four for the year. I'm just so excited about what this week could be. Um, and I think it could be really interesting. Uh, you know, we always talk about the courses come US, uh, U.S. Open time at the USGA. It's good. They're going to trick it up and it's going to be tough. And there's all these rock outcroppings. And it, it would be the least enjoyable round of golf to play. And mm-hmm. I don't know how, how enjoyable it's going to be to watch, but it's going to make for intense theater. And, and I think that if you're not into the minutia of the sport, at least be there on Saturday and Sunday, because I think it's going to be really good. And I'm hoping it produces a really good leaderboard. And, and I say, you know, it's not going to be the easiest watch and you wouldn't enjoy playing because there's so many blind shots out there. There's so many uphill approaches into these greens. Um, it's going to require a shot shaper to get the job done. And I kind of, I'm kind of teasing my pick with that. I don't know if you want to get two picks, Matt, if you have any thoughts about the U.S. Open here before we do get to why it. Don't you, why don't you give it what we're talking about now? Go ahead and give them. What do you got? All right. I'm going to lead us off with, with a favorite because I have not made a long shot pick. And, you know, we like mm-hmm. to offer up a long shot uh, and a favorite. But for my favorite, I believe he's going off at 11 to 1 at last check. Second favorite, Justin Thomas. Yes, I do understand that would be back-to-back majors, and he'd be the first person to do that since Spieth in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not mistaken. That was the last person to do it. Um, 
I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm Joe Musso, not mistaken. But but just right there, what I said, shot shaping. You're going, if you want to hold some of these greens, you're going to have to move the ball into them. No one's going to straight ball it at these greens. You're going to have to cut it into some greens. You're going to have to hook it into some greens. You're going to have to, most importantly, you're going to have to weather the mental storm that is going to be thrown at you throughout four days. Like it's, you're, you're not, you're going to make bogeys. You're mm-hmm. going to make, you might even make some doubles. Can you survive? Like, can you not let go of the rope? And I believe Justin Thomas sort of emboldened by that PGA championship win is going to bring his best again here. And I think take another step towards greatness, take another step towards hall of fame legacy, take another step towards all of that. And, truly state not that he hasn't already but truly state that i am in the prime of my career you got to come take it from me yeah i I, you know you pick justin thomas in a major i'm never going to tell you i disagree with that pick or think it's a bad pick because i think as we've seen in past majors he's pretty much always there and he has i mean with the pga he kind of shook it but even did have a little bit of the the rory like one bad round can he recover and he was able to do that in the pga and one but he's had that but he, he is always right there um, my pick, and I agree with you on the needing to harness the mental game and then get through some adversity, which makes my pick a little bit risky, but I like the fiery Spaniard, John Rahm. I, I know he played so well at the U S open last year at a course that, you know, similarly was kind of hard to score. The rough's really deep. It's, you have to be a double double is out there. Like we saw on Sunday at the U S open last year, it was the ultimate carnage with Rory making seven Bryson making eight. I just Rahm hasn't quite put it all together this year, but a year ago, you know, now you were, you were talking about he was the best golfer in the world. He was on a Rory type run like he is now. He, he, he was playing as good a golf as anybody. Um, and he drives the golf ball well. And if he can keep the ball in the fairway and hit middles, I think he's going to be in really, really good shape. And he knows what it takes to win a U.S. Open. He, he's been there. He's done that. And I think having that prior experience at Tory last year is going to help him in the mental game, you know, harness those, He'll never fully harness those emotions because he's John Rahm and he's fiery. Use I, think them. Having, yeah. I, I think he, I think he knows how to use them correctly. Now, if that, like you said, like you said, there makes sense. So, I, you know, we're sticking chalk a little bit chalk here with the top three favorites or two of the top three favorites, but I'm going to, I'm going to take John Rahm. Yeah. I, I think that, um, he makes some good points there, and it's hard to question Rob's ability to hold it together after he did what he did last year at Tory. I do think that this is a, no disrespect to Tory Pines, but I think this is a little bit truer of a USGA setup and test uh, than Tory is. Uh, yeah. Tory was difficult and grew the rough mm-hmm. out, but you're going to see or not see um, a lot of things that you did last year. You know, Tory, it's a very visible golf course. Is Rom going to be okay? just hitting a drive and picking up his tee and not knowing where it landed because you could hit a great drive and it could take a bad bounce. And that's just how it is out here uh, at Brookline. Mm-hmm. How does he handle that? Um, I, I was questioning his form, but then he gives you a top 10 finish at the Memorial. So I think it's very hard to question that pick and John Rob going off at 12 to one. I, I do need to, uh, I do need to fix the number on Justin Thomas. I said 11 to one. He is 12 to one as well. So both of our favorites, uh, 12 to one. I think there's a lot of value to be had in the 30 to one to 40 to one range. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're looking at, you're looking at guys like Tony Finau, who we just saw play some great golf. Now 
does he meet the test here? I'm not sure. Brooks, who, again, we said hard to really fade Brooks at a U.S. Open setup. Hideki mm-hmm. at 35 to 1. He's gone quiet the last few weeks, but he's had a good Morikawa start. Morikawa hasn't been great this year, but he's over, he's 32 to 1. I mean, that's yeah. a number for Billy a ball Ho- striker. Billy like Ho's him. got a win and some confidence in his pocket at 40 to 1. Uh, DJ sitting in there, but uh, that's you know, the name the per- that honestly purse, sticks the purse out to might me. might not be big enough. So, who knows? That, that, that is the name though that sticks out to me. And I, I guess we'll see what his kind of motivation is this week. And I know he's not always the most motivated individual, but if there's any semblance of kind of sick of putting up with these answers and wants to just go out and make a little bit of a statement, like I, like I, I don't know what we're going to see from DJ. And we had the Ryder cup questions and then he went out in the Ryder cup. Like, was the motivation big enough? He went out in the Ryder cup and absolutely shoved and went five and O oh and kind yeah. of silenced some of those. So I don't know if we're going to see that type of performance from DJ, but anytime it, I know he has it's hard a to look away from him with that year. number next to him. Justin Johnson is still one of the best golfers on the face he's of this a 12 planet. To one he's guy. 44, he's 14 yeah, he's to, 44 one to one. There's yeah. some value there. And I, I think maybe as the majors go on and the more majors he plays as a live guy, the motivation gets a little bit less and maybe the questions become a little bit less, but I, there was a, I don't want to say attitude from him, but a little bit of like a, come on guys. Like it's the U S open. Like I just want to, I'm here to play the U S open kind of attitude from him this weekend. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit more of a focused and intense DJ. Yeah. Um, I don't expect it though. I, I just don't I, like, I'm not going to besmirch the name of DJ, a guy who I enjoy watching play the game of golf, a guy who I can't fault for making the business decision that he made. But when you talk about motivation, I think he lacks it. I think that's the only thing he lacks. And for him to get up like certain guys in his position, um, I think Phil has this on his side this week, but he just isn't good enough at golf to to even make the cut. I don't think he, he'd be my, he'd be my pick to miss the cut, but um, certain guys who went over to live, who kind of approached this with a, I'm going to show you. I don't think Dustin has any, I'm going to show you in him. Um, I think he's shown us everything he needs to show us and he's fine with that as well. So yeah, that's fair uh, let, let's get to some long shot picks. I'm going to live right there in that 41 range and give you Max Homa, a guy who really, really good golf lately, really struggled with confidence the last few years, but he has found it. He's, he does a lot of podcast appearances, has his own podcast with Shane Bacon as well. He's speaking in a confident manner. Um, he, he just, and like I said, he's playing good golf lately. He's got two wins on the season already, I believe. And he's just like, he's in a good spot mentally. So when looking for a long shot pick, I'm just looking for that intersection of guy who's in a good spot mentally, who the course isn't going to break him. And um, game has to in a good spot mentally and game in a good spot is the intersection you're looking for in that 40 to one range. And I find it with Max Homa. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going away. Where'd you get home at? You said 40 to one. Yeah. I might be looking yeah, at it. No, no, no. I, I'm just, I was looking for the general area. I should be looking at on my FanDuel page here. Do you uh, have live odds there? What's Homa going off on FanDuel? Homa is 41 to one, 41 to one. So, so take, that extra, take that extra dollar. To a the little extra juice you. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to, this is a little bit longer of a shot, but talking about a guy who's, in decent form, Justin Rose just shot 60 at the RBC. He was, you know, finished T13 at the PGA. So he's kind of right there hovering around. He's kind of gone back and forth this year between miscut playing pretty well, but he's a guy that's won a U.S. Open at a place in Marion that was a very difficult course. Obviously, that was years ago. Obviously, he's a little bit older now, but talk about a guy that kind of knows how to navigate his way through ups and downs in a U.S. Open course and come out, you know, a winner, come out playing well, knows how to kind of harness that mental game. Um, 
he's, you know, obviously on the, the back nine of his career, no pun intended, but like, he's still a guy that is a, capable of going out and throwing out a number. And I know the RBC was a little bit more scorable than, than Brookline's going to be, but he still went out and threw up a 60 and finished top five. So he still kind of got that yeah. game in him, whether or not he can put that together over four, you know, four days at a U.S. Open, not really sure, but 70 to one. And then some, you know, top tens, top twenties on a Justin Rose. I really don't mind taking a look at that. Yeah. I think that, you know, heartbreaking to shoot the most heartbreaking 61 was it 61 or 60? 60. I don't, I, I think it was 60. I think he had a three holes, even par to shoot, I believe a 58 and he played them two over. <laughs> I mean, so it's all about expectation, but can you, can you really knock a guy who's playing that sort of golf? Um, I think not. It'd be, it'd be one that I'd be thrilled to watch on Sunday. Uh, Rosie, the gold medalist, uh, didn't really, peak my uh peak my interest all that much but you make a good case for them again i like xander and will zalatoris in that middle range there at mm-hmm. 22 to 1 uh, as well top 10 finish if you're gonna go top 10 wager a, a true just a true mutter uh i like shane lowry i, I don't know I, he's just he's always really, there he's always he's in the top always 10. there top he's always cashing a six-figure check he's always around the top of the leaderboard come saturday we'll see if he can hang around but i like him as a top 10 wager as well uh, I'm going to throw also Sam Burns is kind of around that number. He's just had a really yeah. solid year. I mean, he's coming, won the Schwab, played okay at the PGA, um, you know, was around there in the players until the wind kind of took over and then he fell off and he was around the lead there. Top five at the RBC. He's just a guy that we keep seeing at the top of these leaderboards. And I think he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of that ilk right below the elite golfers in the game right now. And just a guy who's had a pretty good year. He beat, uh, the so number I, one, he beat the number one player in the world in a playoff, and we haven't yeah. said Scotty Scheffler's name yet on this podcast. It's, yeah, that's kind of wild. He's won a thousand times this year. He's looking to win a Masters and a U.S. Open and join an elite list this week as well. Why haven't we? You know, why haven't we said Scotty Scheffler's name? Uh, we're, we're not bad at our jobs, Matt, but what about Scotty Scheffler is not piquing people's attention this week because we're not the only ones that maybe you know, the love he deserves. I think the expectation was so, so, so high after, you know, winning three and five, including the masters and then going to the PGA, the expectations were his home course. He's going to kind of cruise through. And then he just like, didn't like very much. Didn't, didn't really play well. Obviously the weather wasn't great, but missed the cut. And and I think kind of since then, since then it was almost like a, how there was a little bit of an overreaction to Scotty's, you know, Scotty's running away with it. He's by far the best player in the world. Now I think it's kind of gone back a little bit to, Oh, you know, maybe he's kind of like not where we thought he was. It's lies somewhere in the middle. He's one of the best players in the world should be grouped up in that bunch. But I think him falling off a little bit, it's hard to even say falling off. I mean, he's a second in the Schwab still finished top 20 in the RBC, but kind of since that masters win has just been. Miscut at the PGA, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Miscut at the PGA. He's got two top twenties and a, and a se- like a second place finish since the since the Masters. But like we were all expecting, you know, people were throwing around the the Tiger name, and it's like, well, let's let's pump the brakes there. And he obviously hasn't been as good since the Masters, so I just think that has something to do with it. But he's he's going to go through another stretch at some point yeah. this year and next where he's playing really well and reels off a couple, and he's still really good. A lot, a lot of golf to play, uh, as they say. And I think that Scotty Scheffler is another guy temperamentally who I do like out here at Brookline. You're not going to scare him away with a double. You're not going to mm-hmm. scare him away with a bogey. He, he'll, he'll take his medicine when he needs to. 
Um, he's not going to try and pull off the hero shot like maybe a Billy Ho will. Um, I, I like I like Scotty this week. Now that we kind of talk our way through it. But not so fast on engraving that Nicholas Trophy because if JT wins this one and he's got a PGA and a U.S. Open to Scotty's handful of regular events and a Masters, well, we got to have that conversation then. Um, mm-hmm. And we also have to play one more major. And we also have to play the FedEx Cup playoffs. So um, I, I think it get really interesting in terms of a uh, Player of the Year trophy between those two. I also not the Player of the Year trophy. I agree with you just in terms of watching this week. Jordan Spieth is going to be a roller coaster, and I oh, as he is every week. It. But I can't wait. It's gonna you're, yeah. we're going to have some insane shots. Like you talked about playing a, a safe game, going for middles of fairways, going for middles of greens. That's not what Jordan Spieth does, and it's either going to really work or it's really going to not. And either way, it's probably going to be must watch golf. And I'm just excited. I, Jordan Spieth and majors at these tough courses or tough conditions. I just can't get enough of. Give me a speed uh, cam. Give me a speed feed. I, I would a, a speed feed and a boom mic right over his head and uh, just leave it on that the whole week. So uh, it's going to be mic a fun one. Just mic him up. Line for the third major of the season. Uh, feels funky to say already third major of the season. And somebody's going to walk away with that U.S. Open trophy and uh, add to the legacy or begin a new one. It's going to be a blast to watch. Uh, that's all coming your way this weekend. And, and we'll recap it for you next week. We'll have a full recap next week. I don't know if you can hear it, Matt, but I'm battling a little bit of a sinus thing here. Look at you. So, uh, let's go, let's go, uh, let's go hockey next because I'm just going to let uh, you drive the bus on this hockey conversation and really give us a fresh seat of ice, a sheet of ice that is heading into game one of the Stanley cup final here on Wednesday. I mean, this is just like, on pay like at the beginning of the season, if you would have said like, what's kind of the dream scenario for a Stanley cup, I think it would have been this, it would have been Colorado's dominant Tampa kind of finds their way back to another Stanley cup final. And you have what feels like Islanders spoilers of the eighties or, you know, bulls pistons in, in the nineties. Like it's one dynasty going up against a team that, you know, people kind of think could be the next one and could be the team that possibly wins a couple going forward here. Uh, you have the best offense in the NHL going up against the, the best goaltender in the NHL, the, the most yeah. talented team going up against the team that, you know, just refuses to die. And I cannot wait for this thing to start. I, I, the way the lightning dominated the Rangers really since that two, nothing lead in game three, the, the Ranger, the lightning, excuse me, kind of just never really looked back. I mean, they just found a gear there that they, you know, didn't you didn't really realize that they still had the thing for me is going into this one, and this is nothing against the New York Rangers. I think they're a very good hockey team and have a really bright future. John Cooper talked about it in his press conference after the series. You know, the Rangers were fresher in the beginning of the series because they didn't have the rust. But as you saw as the series went on, you know, the Lightning had the rest, and that's kind of where right. they they took over. The Lightning are playing a fresher Avalanche team and really. If you look back at the two Stanley Cup finals, the Lightning have won. This is not taking anything away from them because they won two Stanley Cup finals and dominated. But the Canadians were one of the worst teams to ever make a Stanley Cup final. And the Stars were kind of a Cinderella team. Like, this is a test for Tampa, too, because this is the best team that they have seen in any of their last 11 playoff series since they started this run. And I don't think it's particularly close. I think what I was most impressed about in that series against New York was down the stretch, not just how Vasilevsky played, but the defense they played in front of them was so mm-hmm. suffocating. Like, like New York could not get 
a high pressure look like they could not get a puck to the net. They, they, they were coming up empty because they just couldn't generate offense. They made entries hard. They were winning battles in the corners. They were doing all the little things that really allowed New York, no room to breathe. Is that going to work against the team as potent offensively from all levels as uh, the Colorado avalanche? We're going to find out. I do lean heavy towards Colorado here in game one, not just because of the rest, but because, like you said, in each of the series here, somewhat slow starters uh, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay have been. So I, mean, I think that they'll be fresh done. as well. I think, what, three, four days since their last puck drop as well. So yeah. I think everybody's coming in fresh to this one. So I kind of throw, I, I scratch that. I throw that out. Um, but unstoppable force, immovable object, like sign me up twice for this one. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, you said it there. Tampa's a team that, you know, again, John Cooper talks about how they make adjust, you know, they're they make adjustments as series go on. John Cooper is the best coach in the NHL. He's the best in series adjuster, similar to how, you know, when the Hawks were making those runs games four through seven or five through seven, Quenville was like 41 and 14, something ridiculous like that. John Cooper is very similar to that. So you see as these series go on that they get better, but that does kind of leave the door open in game one. And if you look at the three game ones that these teams have played, Colorado's three and oh, I believe they've outscored their opponents 18 to 10. And the one game they gave up a bunch of goals was that was that Edmonton game where they went into the prevent defense way too early, which you just kind of can't do against Edmonton. Other than that, they've been pretty dominant. Um, And Tampa's one and two, and they've been outscored 12 to six. And the one win that they had was they're getting outplayed by Florida. They got a bounce and Florida went into a shell. It was kind of more what Florida didn't do than what Tampa did. So early on in the series, I just, I I like Colorado to, like you said, game one tonight, I, I, I like them a lot. I think their three-way money line was like plus was plus money, like plus one hundred five, plus one ten for them to win a regulation. I'm on that. I, I think they start the series fast, uh, similar to the Rangers did. And then it's just going to be can how can Tampa adjust to Colorado? Yeah. And quite honestly, do their adjustments matter? Because Colorado is so fast, so good. They, they're like Tampa. They can play any way you kind of want and beat you any way you want. Are their adjustments going to matter? And how good is Andre Vasilevsky going to be against really the most elite offense we've seen in quite some time? All right, give me the who and how many. Avs in six. Um, I think that they are going. I think Colorado comes out and wins the first two. I think Tampa holds serve at home, and then Colorado goes back and wins the next two. I think it's going to be a great series. I just think eventually the team that's going to take down Colorado or take down Tampa is just this Colorado team because they're so, so incredibly talented. I will say if you like Tampa, the series price, I think for them was like plus plus one fifty. go ahead and bet Vasilevsky's con smite. It's like plus four thirty, plus 400, where you look, if Tampa okay. wins this series, it's because That's Vasilevsky right. dominates and, you know, goes one, you know, two goals a game for the, for the series and just stands on his head, keeping Colorado out of the net. He's already their favorite to win the con smite. And it's going to take like, seven goals from Kucherov or Stamkos with, you know, three yeah. game winners in there for them to supplant them. So go ahead. If you think Tampa is going to win the series, go ahead and bet Vasilevsky's con Smythe because that's going to increase your value a bunch. I really that's like their that. recipe to win. I really like that play, but uh, I think it's Colorado. And I think that's... So do I. Like, to take that with a grain of salt because I... I want Colorado. I want to see a little bit of parity. Three straight. Again, I struggle reconciling with Tampa being the home of hockey. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be good. They're going to have mm-hmm. more chances over the next few years. I think it's Colorado's turn and I favor offense 
especially in hockey over defense. Um, give me Colorado in seven. I think it's going to go the distance. Uh, and I think we're going to be in store for a good one over the next couple of weeks here. Yeah. Like this, this is going to be, honestly, if you told me any result happened in five, six or seven, really in this series, I wouldn't really be surprised. These teams are all just, these teams are so good. And I, I I hate to hockey. I feel like is the most unpredictable of what's going to happen going forward, you know, in, in years in the future years, because anything can really happen, but I would be very surprised if this is the last we see of these two cores facing off against each other in a Stanley cup final. I think it's something we'll see in, in years to come down the road. Uh, Neither of these of teams results, are going anywhere. We could get a result at the NBA finals here on Wednesday or excuse me, coming up on Thursday night. Uh, you got game six in Boston, Boston's back against the wall. The Warriors looking for their fourth title in eight seasons. Uh, we really set the stage the last couple of pods, Matt, trying to do it without KD, doing it in so many different ways. The game five win, extremely impressive. Uh, even more impressive was the game four win to me. Steph going off for 43, and then Steph completely going away in game five, and the team picking up the slack. Wiggins in a big way with his 20-plus. He's been so good on the boards, especially the offensive boards, and Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's just such a misconception because they've been doing it well for so long. This dynasty, yeah, with a two at KD, but this dynasty is highlighted by a team, an organization that built it. They didn't buy it. Like these are all pieces that they put together. Yeah, Wiggins was started his career elsewhere, but he was picked up off the scrap heap. They were done with him in Minnesota. They said there was mm-hmm. there were empty stats and there was no place for him. Well, he's playing an integral role, and he's the reason that the Dubs are up three two right now. Clay sort of finding a shot. You got game six, Clay maybe coming your way here. All this leading up to me saying it's over. It's done. Like, there is such a low percentage chance that Boston comes back and wins both of these games. Um, I think that it's done in six. I think that they do it on the parquet because if I were to tell you that Steph Curry had the worst shooting night of the last decade in his career, the Warriors shot 22% as a team from three, that, that, that's not a, that's not a winning formula. They don't win many. They don't win any games. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're getting out of this Warriors team, because that's how they win games. Their variability offensively and their defensive intensity that is going to travel. Like they can look multiple places for offense, and they give effort on defense. The Boston Celtics, if they're going to win Game Six, if they're going to take it back, they enforce this thing to go to seven. The building has to win this game. Yes, Jason, I agree. like. They can't disappear in the fourth quarter. They can't turn the ball over. They can't miss free throws. Jason Tatum's got to pull himself up by the bootstraps and not go two for 10 in the fourth quarter as he has the last two games. But the building needs to win this game. It needs to be so uncomfortable for the Warriors to play this game. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be borderline disrespectful as it always is in Boston. But like I'm talking about 6-0 runs need to feel like 20-0 runs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three-pointers need to feel like daggers every time they fall. I know Boston has it in them as a fan base, and I know that's what you're going to get. Is it going to spell a win? I still don't think so. But I think the building needs to win the game in game six. Yeah, they've just – Boston – I didn't watch a ton. I was at a rehearsal dinner on Friday, so I didn't really watch a ton of the game, but I was keeping track of it, kind of saw the end. And it just kind of seemed like when that fourth quarter hit and they were you know had that lead and Steph started hitting shots, they finally kind of like woke up and like, realized where they were, realized the magnitude of the moment. I thought early on in the series, especially game one, they were playing really free. They were playing, you know, with really no pressure and playing really good basketball. And then Steph started going off in that fourth quarter, and it was like, 
oh, shit, this is the NBA Finals and we're going up against Steph. And kind of since that moment, they seem like they've played a little yeah. bit tighter. They haven't. Obviously, I watched uh, the second half of, of game five and you know, all of the fourth quarter was playing really close attention to. And you got a team that, you know, you're on the road and you're down 11, I believe it was in the fourth quarter, and you're 14 to 23 from the free throw line. Like, it's the little things like that that they kind of stopped doing well that have really has really cost them in the series, or at least so far cost them in game five. Like, you, you can't do that and expect to beat the Warriors. And when Steph is giving you a night like he gave you at game five where he doesn't hit a three, and your response is to kind of choke things away from the free throw line, not shoot well, let Andrew Wiggins get every rebound he wants. And that's no disrespect to Wiggins. Obviously he's going grabbing rebounds, but the way the Celtics were dominating the boards early in the series, they just kind of stopped doing that. And it seems like the moment has finally caught up to them a little bit. No doubt. Um, Al Horford was touted as this hero a couple weeks ago. His legs are gone. Jalen Brown has, if you look at his numbers, he's doing what he needs to do, but not when he needs to do it. Tatum's disappearing in the fourth quarter. And I think that all does come from a place of tightness. I think that comes from a lack of experience. Sometimes to get to the summit, you've got to see it first. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think this is their see it moment to this Boston group. Um, and we, you know, we dig into all the minutia of this series. We, we X and O it. We talk about the matchups, all of it. Sometimes it's as simple as the team with the best player wins the series. And that's especially if the best player is playing the best basketball. Steph did not do that in game five. So you have game six, Clay, who his reputation precedes him when it comes to closeout time. Yeah. You have a pissed off Steph Curry. You have Andrew Wiggins playing the best basketball of his career. Jordan Poole, who seems to have a sense of the moment, even though he's so young, um, he's been a bit of a liability out there. But that three at the end of the third quarter in game five, you can't tell me that wasn't momentum. Going into the fourth up one instead of down two. Um, You got that's the name we hadn't brought up yet, too, by the way, was Jordan Poole, who had a fantastic game five and kind of filled in in that shooting role for Steph. Obviously, Clay hit his too, but that's the name because Wiggins was so good. We kind of forgot how good Jordan Poole was in that game five. You got uh, you got Draymond, who everyone's pointing their finger at saying, where's Draymond gone? Well, he's back, and he's sort of just spraying it across the board, a few points, a few rebounds, a few assists, but he does so much within the flow of the game between the whistles. Uh, talk about a guy who, who feeds off of motivation. I think all that talk motivated him too. It's a highly motivated team. Winning on the road is hard. Winning on the road in the finals is even harder, but I think this Golden State team is built for it. I told you dubs and six at the beginning of the series. It's dubs and six right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be six or seven, but it's going to be the dubs. I, I really, I don't see Boston going back to, to Golden State and winning that because like I said, I think if Boston wins tonight, it's because that crowd really kind of motivates them, pushes them to do that. I just don't see them in a game seven, the Warriors coming off a loss where they've been perfect. Uh, throughout these playoffs, dropping two in a row. I just, I, I do not see that happening. It could, sure, it could happen, but I don't see with a three to two lead needing one, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green dropping two in a row. Right there with you. Uh, Matt, dig into that mailbag. You said we got a bear question matter? Bears, always bears. This is Bears always. podcast. We're Tiger <laughs> Pod, Bears Pod, Golf Pod, but first and foremost, Bears Pod. Uh, coming from mailbag champion of the podcast, Rob Gallick again. Hey, I, I think congrats I think, to friend of the pod too. Congrats to friend of the pod too. Uh, graphic designer of the pod, giving him a 
golfers clap the newly engaged Mr. Rob Gallick. Congratulations to him and his uh, his lovely fiance Allie. Another thoughtful mailbag. He sends me a few a week. This is my favorite. Wanted to get some Bears Bears talk in here. Uh, odds of a or your liking, I should say. How aggressive would you be if you're running the Bears? You're Ryan Poles in a trade for a DK Metcalf or a Terry McLaurin, given their contract situations and, and kind of wanting new ones before heading into camp. Yeah. I, I just, I got to know where Ryan Pohl's heads at in terms of when he wants to win, because if they're actively shopping Robert Quinn, I get that. I support it. He's mm-hmm. on the wrong. He's not, he does not align with our window to win. So correct. I, I love, I don't want just picks for him though. I'd love a player and a pick. I'd love, I'd love some compensation that feels like we're heading in the right direction and not just, all right, here's some capital for our guys to go deploy at the draft. Um, but to the question of as simple as which one of those guys would I like? Or how aggressive would you be for either? You know, a big I'd be, aggressive. Name wide out I'd like be that. aggressive because they're both young. They both would align. You'd have to pay both of them at some point. But um, in terms of, let's just say, same amount of control, you're going, you plan on, you plan on signing them to an extension when they walk in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the core that they're going to try and win with, I would lean towards DK. I'd be more aggressive with DK than I would with Terry McLaurin. I think Terry McLaurin is a more complete wide receiver, but I think he's a little bit redundant with what we have. Mm-hmm. I, I'd love to see some verticality. I know Velas Jones Jr. is supposed to be that, but Lord knows what he actually is. Yeah. Um, we know what DK Metcalf is. We know that his game is developing a little bit as well. Um, but I think that he rounds out that receiving core with some size that it's currently lacking. I agree. And I think if I'm going after one of those names, I am going after him though. I part of me is scared. I don't want to say scared off by him because that's not the case uh, worried about his, a lot of times you see in the NFL, these really big, big body guys tend to break down a little bit quicker and how, you know, yeah. can, can the frame hold the body for that long? And when does that, you know, what does that breakdown look? When does that breakdown occur? Um, I don't know. I'm very, I, I don't know what the package is going to look like. It's almost certainly going to include a first round pick though. And I know the Rams have showed us that, you know, proven players greater than picks, but you're a team that needs still so much. And yeah, it, these types of players pop open, pop up every off season. And if you, you know, this is now the, these are wide receivers four, three and four in terms of, you know, one a options that have been on the market this off season. Now we're going to see four again next year. Probably not, but you're likely a top 10 pick in a draft next year where there's probably four, a plus three, a plus wide receivers that are going to be in it. And I would be a little bit more, I don't know. I, it's, I, I'd like to try and have my cake and eat it too by grabbing like a Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round next year and then trying to, you know, at this point next year, you're looking at moving a first round pick for a big name premier wide receiver that pops open on the market. I know that's not guaranteed and nothing's guaranteed, but in today's day and age in the NFL, man, we see these guys. There's a bunch of an offseason that are you know, looking to be on the move that want a new contract. Like next many, year, you'll also be in a position for that. How many six foot? 190 pound wide receivers do you want? Like, look at look at the best receivers in the game right now. And mm-hmm. you got a Jamar Chase who's, I believe, coming in at like 6'3. Um, you got uh 
I guess Cooper Cup. I think Cooper Cup's like in the six-two range. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, we need a little size in the receiving core, and and this is not an indictment of Darnell Mooney. He plays so much bigger than he actually is. But between Mooney, Pringle, the it's nice having a big have, body, a big body target. I, I, I need move. somebody. I need somebody that can put his hands on somebody and not just run routes, but put his hands on somebody and move the, the edge. Let us get mm-hmm. to the edge. I need, I need a little bit of that in my receiving core. Um, I get it. The, the way of the NFL right now is sort of draft these undersized speedsters out of Bama and Ohio state. And yeah, it's, it's effective in certain ways, but in other ways you become one dimensional, especially if you're mm-hmm. in the position that the bears currently are. I, I totally agree with what you're saying about, Hey, Let's not um, let's not blow a bag on somebody that's not aligned with what we're trying to do in terms of a timeline. But again, I need to know what that timeline is. I need to know yeah. what Ryan Poles expects this year. I need to know what Ryan Poles expects next year. I need to know when Ryan Poles is ready to say, "Now's the time we go." Um, it's also and then just go from there. It's it's unfortunate that neither of these teams looking to move their wide receiver may maybe make the argument with Washington, but neither of them see, see themselves as a need for a fit of a, for, of a guy like Robert Quinn, like Seattle yeah, like had an Robert Quinn there. who had 18 sacks last year. That's just like a tough sell. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if you're a contender though, and you got a wide receiver, that's, that's going like the, the chiefs, for example, if this were a Tyree kill package, obviously the bears never first round pick, but the chiefs would have a, like a team like that. That's ready to win would have a use for Ooh. Robert Quinn. Who's got two or three good years left in them that, you know, I you could package. He's the, he's the pick, you know, return. I think I got the deal. Let's hear it. Who's got a plus wide receiver ready to win now and printing cash? The Rams. We get Allen Robinson from the Rams. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Let's look back. Let's do it. Oh, God. And around they go. Uh, plenty of time to break down the Bears offseason. Uh, we'll see We'll see what direction they go. We'll see how ready to win they are. Um, again, make sure number one is developing, and the rest is just gravy for me. It's not, and again, we talked about a couple weeks ago about not overreacting to press conference sounds and all that stuff. But, you know, the way teammates are talking about Justin Fields and the way coaches are talking about and how – footwork and fundamentals have improved greatly from last year not only makes me excited about him but really just it sounds all like a backhanded indictment of the last regime and Matt Nagy in general <laughs> it's like oh yeah when we got here his footwork was a mess but it's gotten a lot better now but he's really really good so uh, we're, we're gonna see we're gonna see I'm, I'm thrilled to see what gets he can get out of him and uh, what this team's gonna do this year I'm setting my expectation low but uh I, I'll be thrilled if we see that sort of development. The expectations Matt, a, are low now, I, but they're going to kick off week one and be right back up there. You know it. Yeah, I, I tend to temper them more than you do, or at least I did last sure. season. Um, I, I have a surprise mailbag for you. Sure. Oh, I like surprises. Yeah, you're Sometimes. not prepared for this one. It's been submitted okay. by me. This, this oh, mailbag submitted. That's a good one. Uh, you're going to the New York Yankees Tampa Bay Rays game on a Wednesday night. Sitting in the legend suite, which is the padded chairs there, uh, are the first five or so rows, 10 rows that surround the plate. Uh, all you can eat, all you can drink, and they're known for the variety. Uh, we're talking sushi, crab legs, uh, homemade eat, like every think of it, and they have it prime rib. What are, what are you eating at the baseball game that's non traditional? Uh, that that you're really taking full advantage of this ticket. 
I mean, you mentioned lobster earlier, and I feel like some East Coast lobster at a Yankees game feels kind of like the, the the way to go when I'm out there. Now you're, you live out going, there. I see myself going crab legs tonight. Uh, maybe a couple, maybe a couple nigiri, uh, a couple nigiri pieces from the sushi bar. But um, just like go crazy, like like if you can imagine it, it's probably there. What are you getting, and then sitting at your seat and saying, "I'm not supposed to be eating this at a baseball game." I'm going, you know. It, not to this extent, but, you know, we've been in the scout seats a couple times, so you kind of have that feel there. Whenever yeah. I'm there, I love doing the, uh, you know, the prime rib slicing station, whatever, you know, uh, big meat that they have underneath the light. Just <laughs> underneath the warming light. The big lit meat. The big lit meat. That's usually what I'm going for. It's usually a couple big slices of prime ribs. So give me a little surf and turf. A little prime just, rib, a little lobster tail. The way to do it. Prime rib and diggers. Just make them slice it and then throw it away. Just to, exactly. I just want to see them. I just want to see I don't them like that. It. I don't like that piece. I'm gonna, I would like a new one, please. Um, I also... I, and you still have I, to eat a hot dog. Here at the baseball game, eat a hot dog. If you haven't picked up on this, this is what I'm doing tonight. Um, I have no information on this, but if there isn't a Costanza Calzone uh, station, that's just that's just a dropped ball by the New York Yankees. That's, 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 that's just a, a missed opportunity. Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with that, Matt, I think we've answered all the questions. Uh, we've weighed in on all the burning topics. Do you have any final words for the people? Um, enjoy the U.S. Open. Let's let's take uh, advantage of these sports while we still got them, because soon it's just baseball. <laughs> Sage wisdom. And that's going to do it for episode 257. 257? Who knows? Yeah, 257, 257 of the pod. Alongside Matt Rooney, I am Joe Musso. As always, hit that mailbag. We need to accumulate them as we hit the dog days of summer. But for now, he's Matt. I'm Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>